0: This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. My first memories of a garden were at my grandparents' home in Downey, California. My grandfather had a small one on the side of his house. We would pick baby tomatoes and eat them like they were candy. Some 40 years later, we have a massive garden in our backyard. Some of the lessons I've learned to have a better garden have come from my guest today, Gardener Scott. His YouTube channel and the things I've learned from it have helped me to make better food.
1: You know, I've been doing this for more than three decades and I still get excited when I go to the garden and I see that plant pop up for the first time or I see the, the first ladybug of the season or a couple of days ago, I had the first hummingbird of the season show up. And, and it's that, that excitement of something new that really stimulates all of us.
0: I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to my archives. My guests have ranged from medics who have been awarded the Silver Star Medal, Oscar winners, and Hall of Fame coach and small business owner Lynn Rogers.
1: I was fortunate on one hand. I had parents that gave me a wide lane to drive in. You know, I wasn't pushed in any one direction or, or really asked a lot. To to perform at a certain level and and but the downside of that was is I also didn't learn how good that felt when you gave 100 to something and uh you know when, like I said when I met met Coach Wolf and started to learn about the sport of gymnastics it, it it just changed my heart changed my world
0: go to justagoodconversation for all our archives let's take a quick break for my sponsor before diving into my conversation with Scott Wilson. Horticulture is his game, and Garden Scott is his name. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I am so glad you had the time and to jump on and talk on the podcast because you are somebody I've been watching for a very long time. You have helped me out, my mom, her friends. Uh, I have thrown your name around and sent many of your links out to people I know on your YouTube oh. channel cuz you are fantastic as walking people through how to be a gardener. Well, thanks Matt. I appreciate that. Yes. So, tell me, as I know cuz I'm a I guess a semi-stalker when you're researching your guests, <laughs> <laughs> 30 years ago you got into the horticulture gardening game. I've watched your I've watched you change homes over the years and gardens yeah, yeah. come and go and change and expand. What got you into gardening? And so uh, it, it's interesting. So there's a couple
1: different levels that I look at. And the thing that got me interested in gardening about 35, 36 years ago now was just having a family and, and having kids and a wife. And I bought my first house and we had a backyard. And like so many people, I started a garden. And it was in Montana, which was an extremely challenging environment. I knew nothing about gardening. And from there, I moved to California. I was in the Air Force, a career Air Force pilot. And in California, same thing, decided to have a a garden. But it was so much easier to have a garden in California than it was in Montana. (laughs) I kind of got the bug. It kind of got me thinking that that I could have some success with gardening. And then we moved to Oklahoma, and it was terrible. There were so many bugs the size of your fist in Oklahoma that want to do nothing but eat your plants, that I didn't have success. And then moved to Colorado, and this is where I retired from the Air Force. And so I had, had the inkling. I had the interest. While I was in the Air Force here in Colorado, I – I actually created a pretty big garden, made a lot of mistakes. And then when I retired and tried to figure out what I was going to do in retirement, I just coincidentally one day saw a little blurb in the newspaper that the Master Gardener program was accepting applicants. And I applied and was accepted and became a Master Gardener. And having been an instructor pilot in the Air Force, I I have an affinity for instructing and I like to teach people whatever I can. And the Master Gardener program, of course, was looking for instructors. And that was almost 20 years ago. And I've been teaching gardening ever since.
0: Wow. Okay. I should have known you were some kind of instructor because the way you lay out your videos have that feel. Like it's just absolutely step, yeah. Step one, two, three, four, five, and I'm going to get you to the conclusion, and you're going to be better after we're done.
1: Yeah, and yeah, you know, and a lot of that does come from my air force training because uh, I, I I taught at the school. I flew the KC-135 refueling tanker, and and I taught at the school brand new pilots, and and that's how we had to approach it. Someone who knows nothing about flying. And a few hours later, they're going to be in the air in a life or death situation, so to speak. And so gardening is much easier to teach. The ramifications aren't nearly as, as threatening as being at altitude or being upside down in flight. And But the process is still the same. You have to lay out what the flight plan is, what point A and what point B and what the final destination should be. And you're exactly right that's that's how i spend time preparing my videos and try to lead you from the beginning not knowing anything to that point where you can be a successful gardener
0: you're yeah you nail it i mean you nail it real well in the way you lay it out and i really do appreciate that when i watch your stuff that it makes it easier to follow along well oh, great thanks what so let's let's start from <clears throat> From the, like for a very beginner, I love how you always touch on that. You do like I could do an expert. I'm a beginner. Let's let's talk about people that know nothing about gardening. What should be their first simple step for them to get started in gardening?
1: So what I always recommend, and and I know you've heard me say this in videos, is, is just to start small. To to start with a single pot or a single container, a five gallon bucket. Uh, maybe one bed in the garden and and just start with some seeds or you go to the store and buy a tomato plant or a pepper plant and put it in the ground. Just very, very small. Too many people, I think, try to start big Mm -hmm. and they see videos like mine with a big garden and think they can do it and, and it just becomes overwhelming. There's so much about gardening that the soil, the plant, how much you're supposed to water, the weather to include sun and wind and rain and snow and hail. And then you, then you have the insects that come in and you have animal pests that can come in. There's so much that can happen to that plant that if you have 50 plants to start with, you're just going to be overwhelmed. But if you can focus on a very small area with just a couple plants now your attention will will be on that plant, and so the soil and the water and the weather and the pests and everything else are much easier to manage when you start small.
0: Do oh, so. What's like simple one hundred and one? Should you be like a tomato plant in a little pot if you're living in an apartment or a condo and you got a balcony?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And my daughter when she was going through college had a tomato plant in a pot on her balcony of her apartment because the, the suggestion I have is grow what you want to eat or what you want to look at. And most people are used to seeing tomato plants in their garden. And so it makes perfect sense to grow a tomato plant as one of your very first plants. You can go to the store, they sell them. And you just put the plant in a pot, put some potting soil uh, around the the roots and you can grow a tomato. That's that's one of the easiest ways to do it. If you have a little bit of space in a backyard or in the side of your house, Mm -hmm. now you can expand a little bit and think about what do you eat on a regular basis every day. And if you like salads, well then grow some lettuce and grow some radishes and maybe grow a cucumber or two. So it really comes down to what, to what you want to grow and why you're gardening in the first place. And it may not even be food. I know many people, that start gardening just to grow some flowers that they can cut and put on the table.
0: Sure. And I know you're really big on this is have a plan, have a year plan, a five-year plan, a 20-year plan, right? If you're going to grow, you know, apple trees or lemons or a lot, you got to realize it's going to take a while for them to mature. So where do you place them? Where are you putting your, your beds? All that stuff matters in a layout.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and I recommend as well taking your time. You don't have to do everything overnight. And, you know, you move to a new house or you've been in a house and now you want to start gardening. Take some time. I, I, I actually have the very first video I did. I just moved to the house on that now about three years ago. And the first video I did at this house was literally me just standing out in the backyard and observing, mm-hmm. just, just trying to figure out where things were going to go, where the garden might fit best. And then I put in a couple beds, and then I started figuring out, okay, I can, I can build out this space. And you're exactly right. I have a five-year plan in the first year i built six raised beds in the second year i created an enclosed garden space of beds 25 feet on each side in a square and then i added a couple containers and at the end of the second year I, i added a greenhouse and a bunch of fruit trees and now this year going this will be my third year I'll be adding a pergola and pathways and more fruit trees. And, and that's how I do it every year. You just add more as you find the time and the best location. And as you learn how to do it.
0: I don't know if you said this or not in that video, did you kind of think of it as how it's going to be for a year? Because you've got where you're at, you got to deal with weather, you're at altitude, but you also like where the sun rotates. Obviously, as we know, it's different in the winter, to the summer. So where is going to be the best sunlight for your, you know, the best advantage for you? Did you take that into consideration as well? All those situations?
1: Exactly. And that, that's why I say, I, you know, just literally just stood outside and observed and it wasn't a, just a single day. It was observing for a week and a month and a year. And so as I added these extra beds and as I expand my garden, it's after seeing what happens in the winter and what happens at, at the different seasons of the year, what kind of animals are rolling through the garden, what my grandkids and how they use the garden. All of those become factors as you, as you plan and build out your space.
0: Yeah, that's, that's... You've, got, you've got something very different that you know, I have to deal with is you've got wildlife, you've got deer, to deal with a little bigger pests than, than I deal with. Is that something you've took into consideration again when laying out your garden and protecting it? Right? Yeah. I knew I had
1: gophers. And so I had to plan the beds I was going to grow in to, to counteract the gophers. So that's one reason why I have raised beds because at the bottom of all of my beds, I have wire mesh to keep the gophers from tunneling in, (laughs) but I didn't, I didn't know I had deer. I knew there were deer in the area, but I'd seen no sign of deer in my backyard. And so uh, I discovered deer after being here about two years. They started nibbling on my fruit trees. So then I had to put netting over the trees so they wouldn't eat them. And then I got a dog this last year, Mala. I saw, yeah. Mala's done a pretty good job of digging up gopher holes and chasing away the deer And she loves sticks. Well, she discovered that there's all these sticks that are at eye level. And she started eating my fruit trees worse than the deer did. And so now I've got uh, fencing around all my fruit trees to keep the dog and the deer out. (laughs) And so it's an evolving process as soon as you discover one thing, there's always gonna be something else that you have to contend with.
0: Well, it's one thing if it's wildlife. You don't want your own animal destroying your garden.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the 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 number one thing I think, and I maybe you to call me crazy, but soil. You gotta correct. have great good soil, correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Soil is key to garden success. I I say that over and over again. And I'll continue to say it for many, many years to come. The Colorado State University, uh, who ran the Master Gardener program that that I went through, some of their their studies show that more than eighty percent of plant problems can be attributed to the soil. So pests that are eating the plants, diseases of the plants, poor uh, harvests—all of that is is often attributed to just poor soil. So if you have good soil, you're less likely to have disease and pest problems and you're more likely to have those successful harvests, which is really a big reason why you're doing.
0: It. Now, what is and, I, and and I'm still learning about soil. I've been doing it for a long time, but it's just a it's a science. What's good soil? Okay, so
1: if you, you can actually find some of these charts online that, that show that, that soil is, is 5% organic matter. That's really the key component. You've got 45% mineral, 5% organic, and then the, the other part of it is air and water, basically. So you want a moist soil. That has air pockets, pore space for oxygen to get into it. But the the key part that we have control over when we talk about good soil is adding organic matter to try to get 5% of the volume, compost, crushed up leaves, grass clippings. It really doesn't matter what it is. You just have to get some organic matter into the soil.
0: Okay. So that's key because I've, I've created a second compost pile uh, or, or, made, or made a box. And I know that's a massive, you know, key to the success of having a good garden is putting that in there. Right. Is there, I mean, and there's a million videos and I will link yours to on the podcast is what's a good starting point for people if they want to get into a compost to help their soil, what's a good little first step for them?
1: Uh, just to start it, just to just and when I say organic, I'm talking about anything that used to be alive. Mm-hmm. So anything that you you cut from your kitchen, from the garden, from your neighbor, that's the kind of stuff that you just take and start putting it into a pile. And And there's a lot of science involved. There's a lot of art to making good compost but really you just got to start you just got to take your grass clippings dump them in a pile add some leaves and the banana peels and the the lettuce and the radish roots that you you have from your trimmings of dinner and just start throwing it all together into a pile and then eventually hopefully sooner rather than later you'll figure out the right ratios and how you mix nitrogen materials with carbon materials, the greens and the browns are what we call it. Uh, But just getting started. Like most things in gardening, you just got to do it. You just got to put that seed in the ground. You got to start that transplant. You got to start the compost pile. And then you'll learn as you
0: proceed. Right. Now you said a magic word there. You said seed. and And I know by watching, I've seen it. Are you, will you advocate beginners to start with seeds or like little plants that are maybe eight uh, uh, a foot high starter plants? Which one do you recommend?
1: I think for brand new gardeners, and I do this with kids, I ran a a big school garden program. Kids can take a seed and, and adults, of course, put it into soil and In a couple days, a little plant is growing. And depending on what you choose, a lettuce plant, a radish plant, in a month, you actually have a plant that you can harvest and eat. And so to start with, in the very beginning, if you know nothing about gardening, I think that's a great way to start because you can actually almost literally see it grow day to day. Mm and then at the end of the month you have something to show for it and then you know with that understanding of how you need to take care of a plant you need to water it you need to put it in the sun or underneath some lights then it becomes easier to buy a tomato plant and put it in a pot and and that's i think kind of the natural progression and and if you you know if you're anything like me i remember back to Second or third or fourth grade, and we all brought a milk carton from home, and we put in a a pumpkin seed or you know something along those lines. Uh And that's that's a great way to to get kids involved with gardening, but especially for adults who never had that opportunity, I think a seed or a couple seeds is a great way to start.
0: I remember that same very thing. We had a teacher, and we started. You know, September, we planted something and we watched all year long it grow. And it was the best thing because it was like every day you would check on it. And then a week later, you check on someone like it would pop out of the ground and you're like, oh, I got something. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it fires you up when you're a kid because all of a sudden you're like bugging your parents like let's plant something.
1: Exactly. And I think that is such a huge part of gardening is that excitement. I try to keep that excitement going on a daily basis. You know, I've been doing this for more than three decades and I still get excited when I go to the garden and I see that plant pop up for the first time or I see the, the first lady bug of the season or a couple of days ago, I had the first hummingbird of the season show up. And, and it's that, that excitement of something new that really stimulates all of us to enjoy gardening. And, and if you enjoy it, you're much more likely to stick with it and to learn more about it and to keep trying all those new things that I just think are so special about it.
0: Oh, yeah. So give me your, give me your like, <coughs> top five do's and don'ts for gardening. What do you think people should be doing and, for God's sake, not doing? Well, we've already talked
1: about a couple about it. So okay. um, soil. You have to focus on the soil, and so in the beginning, you can buy a bag of potting mix, but but you really need to understand that soil is is critical. It's key to the success. So you so you're going to have to learn more about the soil. the 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 second part we touched on briefly was planning. You should have some kind of plan, even if you're just putting a single seed into a pot. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? What what's the reason for it? Are you trying to to grow the tomato plant to harvest? Are you trying to grow the flowers? There's some reason behind it and so you should have a plan associated with I'm putting a seed in the ground and I'm looking for a particular outcome from putting that seed in. And you know, I I plan months ahead of time for my garden of course sure the plan the plan doesn't need to be that extensive or or that involved for brand new gardeners it can simply be I'm going to put this seed in the ground and I'm going to come back and water it every single day and then once it starts growing I'm going to to put it out into the sunlight because i know it needs to have sun. So so a, a plan can be that simple, just the steps that you need to do to reach the outcome, usually it's a harvest of some type. The 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 weather i think is is particularly important and i put that in the top 5 and it's an ob- observation of the weather. Mm-hmm. All of our gardens are unique. I'm in Colorado. My garden is at 7,500 feet elevation. Whoa. It, it's a challenging environment, and it's definitely different from your garden and what you're doing. And so each of us have to recognize our own unique characteristics about our weather patterns and our climate that that when we start gardening, we have to observe what's happening with the clouds and the wind and the rain and all those other factors. And, and so that, that ties in with planning to a certain degree, because choosing the right plant is also in the top five. You got to use the right plant for your location, because I can't grow banana trees. You know, that's no surprise mm-hmm. to you, of course, yeah. but, but that's part of it. You have to understand that that there are some plants that will be better for you to grow in your area. And you might not be able to grow plants that you grew up with or that somebody right. is telling you you should grow. So, so you do need to recognize as part of the planning and as part of your climate and weather that you choose the right kind of plant. And then the fifth thing I would put as one of the most important things is to recognize that you need patience. Gardening doesn't happen overnight. It takes time for plants to grow. It takes time for you to learn what you need to do to keep the plant alive. And there's a lot involved from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. And sometimes it looks like things aren't going right. Well, just have patience because often things will correct themselves or you'll figure out the right way to approach a particular problem. And in the end, the enjoyment comes back because when you've put all those pieces together and you have that successful harvest, it just makes everything worthwhile.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What what are some what are some other like crucial don'ts? Like is there something like are you uh I rather do a wood raised box and a metal raised box or um like is there any really foolish things to save people headaches to keep them in in, in love with gardening? <laughs> yeah, so so my basic philosophy
1: is the, one of the best ways to learn about gardening is to make a lot of mistakes as you garden.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I can attest to that one.
1: But yeah, because you know the things go wrong, and then you you think, "Oh, you knucklehead!" And you know not to do that again.
0: Yeah,
1: and and so there there's a lot of that about gardening. And as long as you approach it with the recognition, the acknowledgement that things are going to go wrong there are going to be problems then hopefully you can keep a a smile on your face but one of the one of the big things that and and it it really comes down to each individual gardener and how they choose to garden but but i i don't like using chemicals i think we've just become too dependent on fertilizer on on pesticides on herbicides they're just you know, and, and it used to be this way, you know, my mm-hmm. my uh, grandmother and aunts. And, you know, when I was a kid, that's what you did. You just doused the plants. If there was a bug, you just killed all the bugs. And if the plants weren't growing, you just poured a bunch of fertilizer on it. And I've learned there are so many better ways to deal with with pests and nutrients and fertilization that, that you really don't need the chemicals. And and you know we talked about soil. Soil is important, but it's really the soil life within the soil mm-hmm. that is what the plants need. And, and that soil life is is taking the nutrients in the soil and making it available in a form that the plants can use. Well, if you're pouring all these chemicals on the soil you're disrupting, if not flat out killing, all of the life that's in the soil. And so now there, you don't have that relationship between a good soil and your plants. And, and you can have wonderful soil, but if the life in the soil is dead, then you have terrible soil and your plants won't do well at all. So that's that's one of those things I try to caution against. But as far as If it's a raised bed, an in-ground bed, a wooden bed, a metal bed, containers, five-gallon buckets, or cloth bags, it it really doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's however you want to try it. I've got wood beds, I've got metal beds, I've got cloth beds, I've got high beds, I've got low beds. You know, you've seen my videos. I've got
0: you got beds.
1: (laughs) I've got beds of all different types. Now, now part of that is because I'm making YouTube videos. To demonstrate different options, right? And so, so I'm I'm demonstrating different ways of doing it all within my my garden space on purpose, yeah, for the educational perspective, right? But but if you find that you don't like raised beds, then don't grow in raised beds. It's yeah. you know, it's as simple as that. If if I've got a, I have a lot of people that comment on because uh, I like raised beds. Yeah, that you know they don't. And it's like fine you know I'm not telling you that that you have to follow any particular way of gardening you discover for yourself which way is best and that's the way you're most likely to continue moving into the future
0: right my grandfather always said he would rather have a handful of earthworms than a handful of miracle grow
1: oh absolutely yeah, yeah. i I I completely agree with
0: that. Yeah. You give him some earthworms and he would put it in his garden. He's like, Oh, those buddies are doing work. They're way better. They'll make more earthworms. They're going to hollow out the bottom of my garden and make air and leave debris. That's good for it. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Best things for your garden.
1: Absolutely. I like that idea.
0: With the cost of food skyrocketing, whether it's chicken, eggs, meat, lettuce, everything. I, I, you know, I feel for my wife, we've got a massive garden bed, but there's still things, you know, we have chickens and there's still things we still have to pay for. What right. What is a good thing for people if they want to like help. And I know you've done this with that zero cost garden to help them kind of offset some of these costs to think about in a year or so I can have seasonal garden going year round helping me not feel so much pain in the in the wall. Right.
1: Yeah. Well the first thing is to do an inventory uh, or or a budget or you know put a spreadsheet together right. and, and try to identify your your food costs. What is it you're spending money on? And then you can start going to column B or column C and decide Is that something that you could grow? So, you know, for instance, you know, bananas. I would love to be able to grow a banana tree, but I just can't. So I would put that on my list of something I eat, but I can't grow. But most of us have a salad or a vegetable every night with dinner. Mm -hmm. And so start identifying those kind of foods. And almost all of us can grow lettuce and you can grow, you know, to your point, depending on where you live, you could grow lettuce year round. And so at my supermarket, I can go buy a bag of pre-cut lettuce for about $3.50. Or I can go out to my garden and harvest uh, a couple leaves or a couple heads of lettuce, and I just saved myself $3.50. And if you do that, every single day this is where it becomes just mind-boggling if you just grow lettuce to make a salad there's a hundred dollars a month that you're saving in lettuce costs that you may not even realize you're spending yeah
0: yeah and i I guarantee people don't think about that how many times a week they have lettuce whether it's on a sandwich or a, a regular salad that's a huge cost factor you can save
1: Absolutely. And then, you know, if you like to cook, I like to cook. And so I like to use uh, fresh herbs. Well, if you go to the store and buy one of those little plastic things of herbs, you know, it's like five bucks and it's enough for a single meal, maybe a couple of them, or you just grow your own herbs. And you I, I, I have not bought thyme or oregano or sage or tarragon or mint for years. Because I grow my own. What I don't use fresh, I dry and then use it through the rest of the year. And it's just one of those kind of things. Identify the things that you're using that cost a lot and see if you can grow those instead. So I'd save hundreds of dollars or could save. I don't buy herbs anymore. But if I were buying a lot of fresh herbs, I would be saving that. And then you know, the cucumbers and the tomatoes, those are the most obvious plants that we grow in the garden. But it's it's what you're eating and buying from the store that you should take a look at. And if, you know, a typical grocery run is 20 or $30 in the produce section, well, you might be able to save that. On a regular basis.
0: Sure. I mean, have you ever thought of, have you ever had like, it would be interesting what like a third party auditor came in and looked at like your grocery bill and looked at your garden and said, wow, Scott, you're saving, you know, $400 a month in grocery bills because it's outside in your backyard. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm looking out my window at my garlic bed. <laughs> and so, uh, same thing i haven't i haven't bought garlic at the store in many many years and my bed of garlic has about 120 bulbs of garlic and some of those and, and 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 so i make garlic powder i make pickled garlic i use garlic in all kinds of cooking and i save garlic at the you know to plant for the next year but if you buy even on sale a bulb of garlic, you know might be three dollars or something like that. I don't know. I haven't bought garlic, but <laughs> yeah. but you know, right? Just just that alone, that one bed, you know, is saving me hundreds of dollars in garlic cost. And so, yeah, if you if you were to do an audit of of each of my beds, uh, I, I have a, a small bed with horseradish. The last time I went to the store to just see how much horseradish cost, just a little root of horseradish, it, it 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 almost made me throw up how expensive horseradish is at the store. Because it's one of those things that you don't use very often, but when you need it for a recipe, you got to have it. Right. So I have a, just a small pot of horseradish. So when I need it, I don't have to run to the store and buy a horseradish root that I'm only going to use for one recipe. I just go out to my backyard and dig up some root and use it in the recipe and and I can do that with rhubarb, I can do that with all kinds of plants that I have growing that uh I just don't even think about strawberries, you know, raspberries, blackberries, all the fruit bushes I have. I I probably should do an audit. I'll probably do a video about that one of these days. <laughs> because uh yeah, when you when you break down the cost uh that you're saving, it it really makes it worthwhile. And th- and there is some upfront cost sure. because I I have the raised beds. I have built the raised beds, but you know, using that garlic as an example, when I built the bed that the garlic is in a, a couple years ago, the wood and the soil to fill that bed was about two hundred, maybe two hundred and fifty dollars. But this year's crop alone is giving me about three hundred dollars worth of garlic.
0: What? Wow, that's and this year, right? And that's on that's an older bed, yeah.
1: Exactly. And so, and I recouped the cost for each of my beds last year, just with all the stuff that I grew. And so this year, you know, I I basically am growing for free the wow. the the construction those initial construction costs have paid for themselves because i've i'm now in my third year and be it the the peppers or the tomatoes or whatever it happens to be i you, you probably uh you know have have seen some of those videos that that i have with yeah. the the tomatoes and the peppers and 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 i ferment and so that's another part of it. You, you don't necessarily have to eat everything fresh.
0: Sure. Yeah. Right. You you can save
1: it and put it in your pantry. And now all during the winter, you're saving yourself from having to go to the store and buy food because you've learned how to preserve your harvest.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was watching one today. It was how to prune tomatoes for the best harvest. I was watching. Mm-hmm. You did that in 2018, and it's almost got 1.1 million views. Like yeah. simple, simple little things like that. How to just take care of your garden, prune it, make it produce more for you. It's like so simple and so great. I just, I want more people to get their hands in the dirt and in, in garden. It's such a wonderful thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I'm I on board with you. I want to get more people out there with their hands in the soil growing as well. Because it it just... You know this, you garden. It just makes you feel good. Just to be in the garden makes you feel good. And then you throw on the benefit of some food that you can eat. What's better than that? Right.
0: So let's talk because I'm a raised bed guy, right? I've built three beautiful ones for my mom. I built some brand new ones for my wife. What What do you What do you like when building a raised bed? What is your preference and what kind of advice can you give to people?
1: And so uh, there's, I I actually made a list, and uh, I, I've got uh, three different videos with ten in each of those videos. The wow. thirty thirty benefits of raised beds. <laughs> Jeez. And so you know, there's there's all kinds of. Are you, of I, I
0: know you're a wood guy, right? You prefer and so, wood. The,
1: so I prefer the wood because for me. Being a little bit older, having some back issues, a raised bed that's about 18 to 20 inches above the ground mm-hmm. that's made of wood, I can sit on it and garden in that bed and not put any pressure on my back at all. Right. So that's my preference. Right. I, I also have the, the big area that I built, uh, the beds are, are 21 inches high. They're framed in wood so I can sit on them but they're actually enclosed with metal with corrugated galvanized steel um, just because that's a little bit less expensive with the lumber cost these days
0: yes yes
1: but I can still sit on it Uh and so that's that's really my number one uh, reason for raised beds and how I build my raised beds is just so that I can sit on them and garden easily.
0: <laughs> I would say my favorite video that you did was the material, the material in which you put in the raised bed to start with the yeah. wood and the greens and the grass. That was great because it, I prepped like three months out before with all the material. So it was fantastic. I, oh, that good. raised, that raised bed filled up immediately with everything I had from months back. Yeah,
1: you, you know, especially when you're growing in a bed that's 18 or 20 inches tall, uh, the natural assumption is that that whole bed needs to be filled with soil. But when you think about the plants you're growing, most of the plants we're growing, their roots are only in the 8 to 12 inch range. Mm-hmm. They, they only get that deep. Some some plants, you know, like tomatoes, can get very deep. But if a 20 inch bed and you only have 10 inches of, of soil for the roots, that's all you need. So that bottom 10 inches or the bottom half of a, a tall raised bed doesn't need to be fancy, expensive soil. And so, what? yeah, what you're alluding to is, is putting logs and branches and twigs and wood chips and grass and leaves, and you fill that bottom space with organic matter That will attract the earthworms that your grandfather loves (laughs) and as it decomposes and breaks down it's going to add nutrients to the soil from the bottom and so as those earthworms crawl up through the bed they're bringing all of those nutrients at the bottom of the bed up to the top and then i'm a huge believer in mulch adding organic matter on top of the soil that will decompose and enrich the soil from above. And so you have a raised bed and you're basically feeding it with natural organic products that you put into it from both the bottom and the top. And you just let the soil organisms mix it all up and break it down and give it to your plants.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're making a mess. Put it back in there. Put it in the compost. Put it back on. It's just this huge, beautiful cycle. Yeah. yeah, that is like so interesting how the how the I haven't I'm sure that raised bed inside mine is just a giant animal fest of of love going on down there. What's there you going go. on? Just just bugs and everything. It's great, and I, I allude to we had chickens, so I use what they do. I put that in the compost. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a huge plus for us in a couple of years with that compost. I can't wait to get that stuff into the garden in a couple of years. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's the absolute best. So I, I got to know it, it's like I said, the, the part of the research is always fun. 11 years ago, where were you when you thought, you know what? I'm getting on YouTube. I'm a gardener. <laughs> I love it. And I want to put myself In front of a camera. Tell me that story. How did a how did a lover of a garden become a YouTube sensation? Well, and so,
1: uh, you know, it was almost 20 years ago. I became a master gardener and started teaching classes. And so I taught classes for about eight years, I guess, at that point and just kind of discovered YouTube. I, I watched some videos and. And that far back, there really weren't that many gardening channels and there really weren't that many videos out there. And we had just moved to a new house and I was just getting the garden started. And so initially, it was really just a way for me to document what I was doing in the garden. And be- and because I'd been teaching classes, it just was natural for me to turn it turn the videos into educational videos and and I really wasn't that serious about YouTube it was just I made a couple videos just for my own sake but Mm -hmm. one of the videos I made so I talked about preserving your harvest after I became a master gardener I became a master food preserver through (laughs) Colorado State University as well (laughs) and and so I started doing the same thing so I made sauerkraut and I did a video on how to make sauerkraut and then we moved from that house and we were setting up a new house and I just kind of stopped making videos for a while. It really wasn't anything I was thinking about. And that sauerkraut video just took off. <laughs> and about, I think about two years after I had made it, and I really wasn't paying any attention, but I went on YouTube one day and it had like 200,000 views. Wow! On how to make sauerkraut. And so that's really what got me thinking. Oh wow! I guess there's an audience for th- these kind of videos. And about that time, this was back in 2014, I was hired to to build and create and manage a school garden project. We had a 42 foot greenhouse over 100 raised beds, 26,000 square feet of growing space, and there was nothing when I I stepped foot in the door. And so as part of that, I started making some videos again just to kind of show what we were doing. But if you've ever taught anything to a child, you know that they're going to ask questions that you are not prepared for. <laughs> yes, yes and i'd been teaching classes to adults for over a decade and was well prepared to answer gardening questions from adults but when the kids started asking it it just i was not prepared because they asked things you don't even think about when it comes to the seed or the plant or the beds or anything else so i back in about 2014 started going on youtube just to to learn more in addition to the books and everything else that i have And I discovered that there's a lot of bad information on YouTube about gardening. Wow, really? Just flat out wrong information or misleading information because there will be a channel from somebody who lives in Florida saying, do it this way. Well, it doesn't work if you have a garden in Colorado. And, you know, it's those kind of things I started recognizing that that they're, there needed to be better information, in my opinion, for a beginning gardener that was appropriate for different levels, different abilities, and different locations. And so that's what really got me going. First off, recognizing, wow, my, by that point, my sauerkraut video had about 300,000 views. And it's like, I, sh- I should probably devote some time and attention to this. And at the school, I started making videos. So I did a video on on how to plant bare root trees and how to do espalier and how to, to harvest this and how to plant that. And that's what really got me going. And then when I retired from that job about uh, almost five years ago, but about four years ago, I decided to devote full-time attention to youtube and now i have almost 400 videos and over 100 live streams and it's my full-time job
0: were were you pretty comfortable those first couple of you know i guess first 50 videos like setting up the camera doing the lav like actually did you storyboard or come up with the concept of like today i'm going to discuss x y and z was that pretty easy for you So easy is a relative term.
1: So, um, <laughs> well, you make so, it look good. Thanks. So, so it was easy because, like we talked about, the Air Force. You know, I I had taught in much more uh, difficult environments. So, so putting it together was easy. But th- there's a big learning curve on YouTube as far as as how to shoot, how to edit, how to 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 get the audience, how to grow your channel. And that that took about um 75 videos, quite honestly. It was about really? video video number 75 when I thought, oh, okay, I've got this now. I I know what I'm doing. I've got it figured out. And and the information in those older videos is still good, but you know, I look back and think, those weren't very good videos.
0: What, I, I, what, what was it that snapped that you understood? Like, okay, I got to do this. This is catching people. Well, And so in, in the beginning,
1: I, I didn't fully understand how YouTube works and how to grow on YouTube. And so I, I was treating a lot of my early videos as basically a lecture. Okay. That, that I'm going to be in front of the camera... And I'm just going to give you information. And and it's up to you to use that information. And what I've evolved to, and I think you've picked up on this, which is why we're chatting today, is is recognizing instead that that there's a person on the other end of the the laptop or the phone or the TV watching the video. And so I'm now making videos for the individual on the other side. And, And it's more conversational. It's more what i'm experiencing it's more uh here i am telling you a story about what i've done in my garden and hopefully you can use it to benefit you in your garden and and that's the big difference is from the here i am telling you information to now it's i'm sharing information with you so that you can use it and then let me know how it goes and asks me questions
0: about it. Yeah. I, I do feel like I need to have a cup of coffee and sit next to you on the garden bed when you're doing the video. Cause that's what it feels like. Like we're good. just having a car conversation and you're just walking me through the garden on the pluses and minuses and what's easy and what's simple. So that does come across in the videos. That's what I really enjoy.
1: Well, good. Well, and, and that's, that's why I say it was, that was about video number 75 that I realized <laughs> You know, I don't need to be the professor. I don't need to be, you know, the the guy just talking. I can have a conversation and get to know the people in the Gardner Scott community.
0: Yeah. Uh, have you have you evolved in the last couple of years technologically? Have you decided, like, I'm going to go 4K or I'm going wireless microphone or I'm doing this graphic background? Is that an, another thing for you to learn?
1: Oh, yeah. So so I, I do have the wireless microphone. And I do upload in HD and I haven't done 4k cause it's not that big of a difference. It's mm-hmm. just, just regular HD, but uh, you know, I've got the, the nice camera. Uh, one thing that, that sets my channel apart a little bit from others, most of the gardening channels are, are the talking head. It's the camera and the person and it's one long, steady shot. Mm-hmm. And I try to break it up. If I, if I have, 10 things that i'm going to be talking about in a video and i've got 10 different camera angles in 10 different locations in my garden
0: yeah i noticed that that's great it's like it's like a small movie
1: exactly
0: and so i try
1: to break it up i try to keep it you know um, entertaining and and moving you know with the editing and and with the the camera angles and, and the location differences and of course you know, as you know, the, the, the location matches with whatever I'm talking about. So I, I don't usually just change location just to change location. There is a reason for it. But in my live streams, my Monday live streams, I have a green screen and I invite the viewers to send me a picture of their garden. And so every Monday when I do a live stream, somebody's garden is in the background behind me. <laughs> And then we talk about whatever the topic is of the day. And then at some point during the live stream, I'll point out their garden and what they're doing and what I like and things we can learn from their garden. And so, yeah, I'm definitely using technology. Uh, I've I've got some ideas of some videos. I actually already shot some test footage uh, using some of those kind of masking and green screen uh outside in the garden. That should be fun when I can get those made.
0: I love that. I love that you're still pushing, right? You just haven't decided I'm just a gardener, a retired, you know, Air Force guy. I'm going to like make this as interesting as possible for the people that come to my channel and view it, and you're pushing that kind of envelope. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah thanks. Oh. You know, you know, I
1: I watch a lot of YouTube videos. You know, I I don't want to copy anybody. And, you know, I can say that my channel is, is unique and it is a standalone. And so when I come up with an idea and I start doing any extra research I need to do, I, I watch what's out there. You know, I don't want to inadvertently put out a video that's exactly like somebody else's video. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and there's actually been a couple of those times where I came up with an idea. I was going to shoot a video and then I saw someone else had already done it. And so I didn't do that particular video and so i watch a lot of videos and i oh, i see you know and it's not just gardening i sure. watch like most people lots of other subjects but you know you do it you watch a video and after a couple seconds you just say this isn't for me and you switch off and i think my information gardening information is so important that I don't want people switching off. I think it's it's important for all of us to learn this stuff. So I want to try to keep people watching as much as they can.
0: Yeah, no, you definitely <laughs> want to keep your audience. You don't want to lose them because you're not interesting or you've just repeated what 1,600 other people have said on YouTube. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I got to ask you this question because I forgot, and I think it's really important because I know I've got a uh, – an older woman, I, I help out, Sister Marilyn. I, I'm helping her with her garden. She lives down the street, and it's about soil and soil testing. Do you have any uh, tips about soil testers and what you should be looking for?
1: Yeah. So, so the, the the best thing to do is to get a professional laboratory analysis of your soil. Okay. And so I told you the first video I did was just me out in the field observing and starting my planning. The second video I did at this new house was was do a soil test. And, and I have a video that shows how to take the samples and how to send them in. And so I have a laboratory analysis of my soil and I know exactly what I'm starting from,
0: Wow. how bad,
1: how bad my soil is. You can buy the the you know, home testers right. on, on Amazon or Walmart, Depot, but yeah, they're, they're not that accurate. They'll, they'll give you a close pH and that's about it. The, the, the nitrogen levels will vary depending on what, whether your, your sample is, is wet or dry or hot or cold. And so there, you know, you can, you can use it for a general guideline, but if you are really serious and want to develop good soil, you really should do a laboratory analysis. And one of the nice things that it's not this way here in Colorado, but in many states, the Extension Office will offer free laboratory soil testing. Really? And so you could go to the Master Gardener desk is usually where they have it, but go to the extension office. They almost definitely have the envelopes and the bags and they'll give you the address of where you mail it to. And whether you have to pay for it or not will vary from city to city and state to state. And and so I did it here in Colorado through Colorado State University. I sent it in my, my samples and you can choose how extensive the analysis is going to be. And I I think it cost me about $35.
0: Yeah, that's got to be like worth every penny, right? Because then you can figure out what exactly you need to put in your garden because you're missing something.
1: Exactly. In fact, I I always have it um, right at my fingertips. So I I just pulled it off the shelf. And so I know that my pH is 6.7. And, you know, that's, that's in a, a nice range for the plants. I know my organic matter, remember we talked about it should be right. 5% as your target. Mine is 1.7%.
0: Oh, so you've got to get yours up.
1: Yeah, so it's very, very low. My nitrogen level is low. My phosphorus level is low. My potassium level is low. My zinc level is low. But my iron and manganese and copper are adequate. And my boron is actually high. And so, you know, these are the kind of things you can look at in a test, because especially if you are using fertilizers, one of the the big problems that that gardeners make is they over fertilize. Mm -hmm. Well, if you haven't done a soil test, your soil may have adequate amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium, but you're told to fertilize. So you go out and you put a balanced fertilizer and you don't need it. And now you actually end up over fertilizing because you didn't do a soil test. Well, chances are you're going to spend at least $35 in fertilizers. And if you didn't need any of that, well, you've just paid for the soil test.
0: Yeah, then you're foolish. When's the best time to do that soil test? Day one. Okay.
1: Like I said, literally, I I hadn't even figured out what my plan was. I didn't know where my beds were going to go. I didn't know how many beds I was going to do. I I literally just started digging some holes and and sent the soil in as I was figuring out what my garden plan was going to look like. And then by the time the test came back, I had a good idea of where my vegetable garden was going to be and where my fruit trees were going to be. And now I or from that point, then I could figure out what I needed to do for the soil in those various areas of my garden. Wow.
0: Well, uh, yeah. If, if people can get that set and get their soil right, mm-hmm. everything's going to be so much easier for them and they're not going to be so frustrated wondering why their cucumbers aren't big or their tomato plants always limp and it doesn't have enough water or something. If you get yeah. your soil straight you know, it's going to be easier for you and you won't be frustrated and you'll have that longevity to stay with it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's big. So water, right. We mentioned that we're, and I know different regions, altitude, climate. Um, I'm a, I'm a night water guy. Where, where do you feel of that? Is that just kind of like where you are? Know your, know your soil, know what the kind of water, how much water it needs. Yeah.
1: That's basically it. The, The water should be to keep the soil moist. Mm -hmm. That should be the goal. So if the soil is already moist, you don't need to water. If the soil is dry, then you should water. If in the morning you recognize that the water or that your soil is dry, then water in the morning. I tend to do most of my watering in the morning, but that's only because I'm out just walking through the garden and seeing what's going on. But in the summer... I do a lot of evening watering because we'll have single digit humidity here in in this part of Colorado. Right. And wind and hot days. And so, even if I did water in the morning, things are usually pretty dry by the, the evening. And so, I like to water in the evening so that the plants have a nice, moist, cool environment overnight so they can get the day started nice and strong and healthy
0: yeah now this is always something i'm trying to get through my mom's head and she's always worried like oh the very top of the soil is dry and i'm like that's okay like your mulch and stuff it's under that it's under the inch of soil if that's moist you're okay because so the sun is going to just beat on those uv rays on the top bed of your mulch that's all right that's what it's there for
1: yes Absolutely. Right. It, you have to
0: think about, you know, the plants
1: are absorbing the moisture through their roots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the roots are eight inches deep, then the soil should be moist eight inches deep. And it, it's just that simple. It, it, the a, a big problem, I think a lot of new gardeners and, and experienced gardeners as well, you get into a pattern of you water lightly every day. And then you check the soil, and yeah, that top inch is moist. Well, you've only added enough moisture or enough water to keep that top inch moist. Right. And it ends up drying out 8 inches and 10 inches deep. And you wonder why your plant isn't growing when you know the soil is moist. Well, no, it's only moist in the top inch or two. You really need to make sure you're watering deep. To where the roots are
0: see mom gardener scott said so so that's what you gotta do <laughs> listen to the expert man's got 30 years <laughs> <laughs> sir i can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this this has been an absolute pleasure um i enjoyed it matt i'm
1: I'm glad that you you asked me to participate and you know i i i can talk gardening for hours and hours day after day so it it's Just about my favorite subject to talk about.
0: (laughs) Well, my son is my youngest son is uh, attempting to get into the Air Force Academy. Oh, yes. So, and he wants to make a trip up to the the academy up there. So, if I swing by, I'm going to bring you some bananas because I noticed a couple of times you mentioned you can't have a banana (laughs) tree. So, I think you're a man who enjoys maybe a A banana banana. split or good banana. So, if I come out to Colorado. Yeah, I'm, look me up. I'm bringing you some bananas, sir. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I, I actually was at the Air Force Academy. That's where I retired from. I ran the I ran the flight operations at the Air Force Academy. So, oh. uh, yeah, feel free to to email or call. And if he's got questions, I can I can help now granted it's been about 20 years since i retired but it hasn't changed that much no it's just up the road but i can definitely help out
0: well if you if you think my energy levels up we just got done watching uh maverick top gun this morning as a family so everybody around here's on uh, cloud nine so nice yeah so we're we're ready to fly nice (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I want people to get to your channel. I'm going to link it up. But I think if you're going to start a garden, this is the guy you need to see and watch. He's going to get you going in the right direction.
1: Thanks, Matt. I appreciate
0: that. All right. You're the very best, Scott. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Scott Wilson. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.